turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll be glad to put one in your hand. By the way, Alan and Miranda also, boy, they must have said it like 10 times. They, here's what they said about our church. They said, we've been to a lot of churches. The way you guys worship, they said, inspired us as we were leading worship. Inspired them up here. That the way that this church is a family was amazing. The diversity of our church. They loved all, they said, man, God's just knitting a neat work together. They could see it. They've been all over the United States. And they said, you know, whatever God is doing here, we're excited to come back and see as God continues to do it. So uh, continue to let the Lord uh, use you and uh, really all of us continue to grow together, which is exactly what we want to do this morning. In the Word, we've been in this same passage for a couple of weeks. Um, little did I know, each week, three weeks ago, we spent a little extra time praying for Houston. Last week, it was Florida. This week, Pastor Randy. I hope next week <laughs> is, I don't know, just an opportunity to just meditate on all of it, minister to all of it, but not add a, another thing. But, uh, but God is in control, and he's sovereign, so whatever is, will be, uh, the Lord knows. But uh, nevertheless, we've been progressing through this text, and I haven't wanted to rush it because really the whole thing comes down to the Lord wants us to walk in him. And when we walk in him, that's walking in wisdom. We've been in the book of Proverbs on some of our Wednesday nights, and uh, we've been looking at that whole uh, wisdom, the walk of the wise, what this means in our life. Uh, but today we want to kind of continue in those seven points. We've been working our way through them. And we're up to what I have titled, Aware of God's Will. Let me reread the text that we're in, and then we will pray and open this up. Starting with verse 15, Ephesians chapter 5. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Let's pray. Lord, in these few verses is enough wisdom that if we had nothing else but these scriptures, we'd have enough to live by. We'd have enough to rely on. We'd have enough to stand on. We'd have enough to put our faith and trust in, in your finished work, in Jesus, your Holy Spirit, and Father, your desire and your will for our life. And we pray that your will would be done here this morning. We pray right now, Lord, that you would just calm our hearts, clear our minds, drive anything out of this room that would hinder us from hearing from you. Minister to us with your grace. And Lord, we pray that you cleanse us and use this time, Lord, to draw us near to you. We thank you, as this word says, for all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It was C.T. Studd, and many of you probably have heard of him, and he was a great missionary, and uh, he was the one that had said, only one life so soon will pass, only what's done for Christ will last. And, and a walk in, our, in this life of 
really saying, Lord, day by day by day by day, I want my walk to be lived for your kingdom, your purposes, your plan. That's not only the wisest thing you can possibly do, but this is the thing that pleases the Lord, that he would see, as John said, I have no greater joy than to see my children walk in truth. If you want to please God, walk in him. If you want to please God, obey him. If you want to please God, say, Lord, I'm going to walk Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, in the things that you have written to me that we'll be looking at this morning. These things, they're simple and as, as far as a listing of them, but not always so simple to live out. You look at them and say, well, that, that looks pretty straightforward. But we have to really resign ourselves to say, Jesus, this is your heart, and I want to align my heart with your heart to walk in this manner. To walk in wisdom is to walk in the obedience of Christ. And the first thing we're picking up with, we'd already looked at verses 15 uh, and 16, but we want to pick up with verse 17, therefore do not be unwise. But understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, a lot of people are always wondering, what is God's will? What is God's will for me? What is God's will for my life? What is God's desired will for our collective lives? We know it. We know what God's will is when we remain in the Word of God. We will know the will of God when we remain in the Word of God. When it truly is a lamp unto our feet, when it truly is our counsel, and it's our reminder, and it's our compass to keep us on course. The will of God is always found, always, 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 the will of God is found in the Word of God. The will of God is found in the Word of God, and it's activated. Remember we talked about God's desired will and His determined will. It is appointed unto man once to what? Die. There's nothing changing the fact that death is coming to everybody. That's, God says, because of sin, this will happen. But the desired will of God is in that dash between your birth date and your end date. And that dash there, God desires you to walk in him all the days of your life. Amen? And if you walk with him here, guess what? You'll be walking with him in all eternity. So his desired will is that everybody in this lifetime submit to him now and submit to his grace and walk in him. And the will of God is activated not only when we're in the word of God, but then it's activated if we have the spirit of God living in us. The spirit of God will always draw us back to the word. You ever not felt like reading the Bible? I, if I asked to raise your hand, I would hope you all would raise your hand because you're not that spiritual. I, neither am I, right? I know there's been days where you said, I'd rather read the paper. I'd rather read Consumer Reports. I'd rather read a blog. I'd rather read uh, Facebook and a little more Facebook and maybe a little bit more Facebook or all that kind of stuff. There's things that your heart uh, knows what you should focus on, but then your flesh doesn't want to do it, right? But then the Holy Spirit will say, my word is more important. You'll find no guidance, no lamp today in Time Magazine. You'll find no real guidance today in that blog or anything else, but you will from the Lord. Isn't it amazing? We read verses that are 4,000 years old, and they speak to us instantaneously, and they draw us right into the presence of God because the Word of God 
with the Spirit of God activates the will of God in our life. I'm reading this from uh, Dr. Charles Stanley. This is his book, Waiting on God. And actually, I'm reading Dr. Stanley, who's actually quoting Oswald Chambers. So I'm quoting Dr. Stanley, who's quoting Oswald Chambers. I'm two people removed from... But he says this. He says, Oswald Chambers explains it like this. He says, look to Jesus, and you will find that your will and your conscience are in agreement with him every time. What caused you to say, I will not obey, is something less deep and penetrating than your will. It is perversity or stubbornness, and they are never in agreement with God. In someone who has been born again, the source of the will is Almighty God. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. With focused attention and great care, you have to work out what God works in you. And not to work uh, or earn your own salvation, but to work it out so you exhibit the evidence of a life uh, based with determination, unshakable faith, or on the, on, on, not or on the complete and perfect redemption of the Lord. As you do this, you do not bring an opposing will up against God's will. God's will is your will. Your natural choices will be in accordance with God's will, and living this life will be as natural as breathing. Stubbornness is an unintelligent barrier refusing enlightenment and blocking its flow. The only thing to do with this barrier of stubbornness is to blow it up with dynamite. And the dynamite is obedience to the Holy Spirit. Do I believe that Almighty God is the source of my will? God not only expects me to do his will, but he is in me to do it. Isn't that good to know? God is in us to do his will. And so we say to the Holy, we, we, we read the word of God, and uh, it tells us what we should be doing. And then it's the spirit that reminds us that this is the whole reason we were created. And God continues to say, hey, I created you to be a worshiper. I created you to present the gospel to a lost and dying world. I created you to train up your children in the ways of the Lord. And all of these things that the spirit would remind us uh, otherwise, without the word of God, we wouldn't think of these things. And without the Spirit of God, we wouldn't be reminded of these things. But we have been placed within us. When you got saved, when I got saved, you not only received salvation, you not only received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but you actually received the implanting of God's desired will in your life. Do you believe that? That he said now, because Paul talked about this in, in, in Ephesians, the fact that he said back in chapter 2 uh, that we were created... We're uh, the workmanship of God, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we walk in them. In other words, his will has already been placed in our life. And our flesh fights against the will of God. And sometimes when we're saying, I don't understand the will of God, it's really just our own stubbornness to get back to what the Lord has already said. Do what he said first, and the rest of it, as uh, uh, Oswald Chamber talks about breathing, it'll start to come naturally we'll start to be in the flow of hearing the Lord and saying, and I, I know that these are the Lord's priorities, so they become my priorities in life. Someone might say, well, I already know that. I already know that the Bible is where you start, and I, I, I've already heard that before. I've been here. I've heard you say it, Pastor Tim. I've other churches. Uh, but to know something and to spiritually understand it, to really understand it, is to receive it, Right? to receive that word that's come from the Lord 
and then to walk in it and be strengthened continually in the commission of God's will always, always, always comes through trust and obey. There really is no other way, right? That's how we know the will of the Lord. We say, Lord, the little things you've already told us to do, um, anything, that you, anything you ever want to do that takes a process. Um, it's one thing to read the, the end of a magazine because they're not even connected articles. But if you're going to build something, you cannot start with the end process, can you? You have to get, you ever, guys, you ever get to build something and there's like, you think there's not possibly, there's no way all these screws are going to get used. You look at the bag and there's like, there's about 40,000 screws here. How in the world, and some wooden pegs, so where in the world do they go? Uh, and you're looking at this thing and you're like, there's no way this actually works together. But then you start, it has a step one, and you look at the book like, oh, good gracious, there's 28 steps in this thing. It goes Saturday and Sunday and possibly the following weekend too. But you look at it and you start following the steps. And little by little, it starts to come together. And that's the way the will of the Lord works. We have to do what he's already told us to do or the rest won't ever come into focus. Wisdom is to say, I'll start with the little things I know to be done. And then the other things will make more sense as I go. Uh, but we only come to, um, to know the will of God and to trust it more and to love his will more and really desire his will when we're no longer doing life on our own, when we're no longer making those decisions. We're saying, Lord, this is what your word says, and I'm going to follow it. And the specifics of his will then for you, like, you know, do, do I take this job? Do I work in this ministry? Those things become really clear because then the Holy Spirit begins to speak in those areas after you've done the basics, Right? All of a sudden, putting that shelf together becomes a lot more simple when you get down to step number 20. You almost don't even need directions when you get down near the end, right? Because you start to see, ah, I don't even know where these long ones are going to go. I never would have dawned on me. But you start to see where they go because you've already done the little steps first. In a nutshell, Jesus uh, wants us to follow the commands he's already given. And then the express specific will for your life because where you're supposed to live, where, what house you're supposed to live in, how many kids you're supposed to have, right? Uh, where the kids are going to go to college, if they go to college, whatever the case may be. Are they going to be missionaries? All the other things, the specifics will come into focus when we've done the things we've already been told to do. I can't, Jesus probably, can you imagine how many times the disciples would say, hey, what are we supposed to do here, here, in this city? Jesus said, what have I told you to focus on today? Parents do this with kids all the time, right? Hey, where, when are we going to go to, so, when are we going to dinner? Well, I'll tell you that when step one, two, and three, which we've already talked about, are done first, right? This is how God speaks to us sometimes. He comes back, he says, the basics are, you do this, then the other stuff you're asking me questions about are going to be made crystal clear to you. Jesus, he summed up the will of God in a number of statements. See if you recognize some of these as the will of uh, God and the commandments of Christ. Jesus said to seek first the kingdom of God over everything else. We can start right there tomorrow morning and again on Tuesday morning and again on Wednesday morning. Just say, Lord, today I want to seek your kingdom first. First. Even more than cornflakes, even more than the radio drive-in, your kingdom first. He said this, 
to love God above everything else. He said all the commandments fall on two, right? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, which he made clear is everybody, people you've never met in South America, Africa, Asia, New York City, Los Angeles, Richmond, our pastor in the hospital, but other people in the hospital too. Your neighbor's everybody. But you can't love everybody, but you can love everybody you run into. And everyone God brings in your mind to pray for and all those things. But first and foremost, he said God first. Then the second, love our neighbor as ourself. By the way, that command says love our neighbor as ourself. That's a high bar, isn't it? Because we, we take pretty good care of self, don't we? And the Lord says, I want you to have that kind of care and prayer and concern for others. That's an outpouring of love for our neighbors. So seek first the kingdom. Love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love our neighbor ourselves. These are three commands that expressly state the will of God for our life. God's will for your life and mine is the same right here so far. Amen? There's no difference. These are standard marching orders for the body of Christ. I go on. Number four, take up our cross and follow him. No one's exempt from this. Say, so, you know, I, I got the exemption from this one. That whole cross thing, that was for Jesus, the disciples, and really spiritual stuff like that C.T. Stud quote you gave, right? You know, that, those are the people that it was given to. No, all of us are called to take up our cross. It is an individual cross for you and I. You know, that alone sometimes involves suffering in life, won't it? One of the things I noticed when we were uh, Wednesday or Thursday, when we were in that prayer circle, and, it, and it, the prayer circle changed because people would come and go, and some of us were there the whole time, and then some people came for periods of time. But we were in that prayer circle praying. At one point, I looked around, and I saw Ray, whose wife passed away of cancer, and I saw uh, Julie, who was in a serious automobile accident a year ago, and many people came to, to Ray's aid, and came to her aid, and I looked around, I saw another family that had gone through this, and each person, I would look around, and I'd say, there's some suffering there, there was some suffering there, there was some suffering there, there was some suffering there, and in each case, I was reminded how God had ministered and used all of us during those things, but in through all of those things, I didn't see anyone in the circle that says, that's it, I'm giving up this whole God thing, because he allowed bad stuff in my life. Nowhere in that circle. But I've heard people that are really angry at God. And I understand it from a human perspective. I understand why people would be angry if they didn't know the word of God. But once you understand the heart of God, the nature of God, when you hear Jesus say, take up your cross and follow me, you know that that is not him saying, I want to make your life miserable. Because he also said, I've come that your joy may be full. And your joy can't be full unless you take up the cross. In other words, that God creates in us, the way he ministers to us is that obedience is the gateway to real peace. It's the gateway to real joy, to lay down our life. It gave Jesus great pleasure to obey the will of God. And so God says to us, take up your cross and follow him. Don't be ashamed of the name of Jesus. Proclaim the name of Jesus. You know, this week... Um, Remember we had Adams Road here? Uh, they, were on the west, they were somewhere out west. Uh, they were in Oregon. And uh, they, pulled their, they pulled their big uh, bus in. And on the back it says, Jesus is enough. And uh, then the, the people that were beside them at that 
um, campground, went to the front office and said, please move us. We're highly offended by the message on the back of that bus. I'm pretty sure if it said Muhammad is enough, they wouldn't have been offended. If it had said Buddha is enough, they probably wouldn't have been offended. If it said atheism is enough, they wouldn't have been offended. But it said Jesus is enough. He is enough. And if you take up your cross, you are going to be identified with Christ, but that's the will of God. The will of God is that we are identified with him, his death, his burial, his resurrection. Look at this next one. Jesus said, pray that we wouldn't enter into temptation. The will of God is that we'd be people of prayer. He said, my, my will is that the church, the house of God, would be a house of prayer. He doesn't want us to have a prayerless life. Would you agree with me that in, in the sense that Jesus already is God, he really didn't need to pray? Wouldn't that make sense? Jesus already is God. What could Jesus learn through prayer? Well, one, he expresses in his prayer life, we see that he had relationship with the Father, communion with the Holy Spirit. The reason why you're married, those of you that are married, is you've come into a relationship, right? You could eat a meal by yourself. You could do these things, that, but it's relationship. Jesus, his relationship with the Father, he didn't need to learn other than the fact that he, he already was God, but that relationship, we don't really understand the Trinity, how it all works, and part of it is beyond our comprehension. We understand what God has told us, and we accept that by faith, that the Father, the Son, the Spirit are individual, and yet they're one. But Jesus would pray because he had a relationship with the Father, but he also was demonstrating to us that our relationship would be one of dependence on God. Make sense? Dependence on him reliance on him, that our understanding of how we walk through life or how do we handle this situation. But also, we pray because it is a form of worship. We come into what the Bible describes as the throne room of God. Jesus would commune with the Father, and he's back in that heavenly realm with that communion. But we enter into that realm through prayer. And it's how we intercede and how we find, Lord, what do I do in this situation? Or interceding, praying for other people. But the Lord also said that our prayer life keeps us in a place of purity, that we don't enter into temptation. If you're in a good relationship with Jesus, you can't get in a relationship with the devil. Does that make sense? If you're in a good relationship with Jesus, you can't get into a relationship with worldliness again because you're too in love with the Lord. If your marriage is strong, you're not looking around. Your relationship with Jesus is strong. You're not looking to other things for satisfaction. So Jesus said, you must have a prayer life. You must. Uh, and, and by the way, the word of God guides our prayer life. He also said this. All these are statements of the will of God. Again, just to as a way of review. All these are the things God's already told us to do. If we don't do these things, the other pieces of the puzzle won't make sense. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Doesn't mean you've been called to be an evangelist necessarily. Some of you might be. There may be someone in this room, and I probably think in this room this size, we might have some young people that God calls in that manner. You may not be called to be a pastor. You may not even be called to some sort of church leadership, but you're called to be active in the body of Christ, sharing the gospel with people in your family. 
with your neighbors. Now, I don't mean that today you, you go knock on the door, greetings, neighbor. Do you have a moment for a sermon? Because I am going to parlay what I learned today and try it on you. But no, uh, that you build relationships and you build a bridge and you share, say, hey, what, here's what God's done in my life. Here's what he's done. And you, you share personally, here's what he did. Here's where I used to be. Here's how I was saved. You know, after the um, funeral that we were at on Friday, I saw people I hadn't seen in 20-some years and back from high school. And uh, um, it was, you know, always an interesting thing that people haven't seen me in years. So what do you do now? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I hope you're ready for this. Are you sitting down? Because <laughs> they knew me when I was unsaved. <laughs> I think you're still working for a tech company or something. I used to do that, but then get, let me get to where I'm at now here. Well, in your life, you might, you might not have to say, hey, I'm pastoring a church now, but you will say, you know, um, God's done a lot in my life in the last 15 years, and many things have changed, and, and I've really come to, you know, the place where I'm at peace with God, what God has done, and uh, I gave my life to, you know, somewhere in the conversation, you try and say, Lord, show me where I can introduce people to Jesus and what I've, what's taken place in my life. We're all called to share the gospel or to preach the gospel. Jesus said to go and make disciples. So we are not only called to share the gospel, but help people to grow once they've received the gospel. Uh, I try and disciple from the pulpit, which I'm doing this morning, uh, but I also want to disciple my three daughters. I also want to disciple my wife. I also want to disciple men that I'm connected to in our men's groups or one-on-one -on -one relationships or just interacting with people that I might even see ever again. You ever run into someone and you, and, and you find out that they're a believer and you felt like in just a few minutes you each poured into one another? Did you know that you're mutually discipling each other at that point? They're, you're encouraging one another, but you're also discipling because you might have said something that you've recently started to do that they were thinking about they should do if they didn't even tell you. And they're like, oh, that makes a lot of sense because a lot of times we need living personal experiences, not just uh, someone else's kind of book that they had written, but we actually meet a person. And iron sharpens iron, the scriptures say. Discipling is actually helping each other grow in the Lord, encouraging each other, exhorting one another. And then uh, the last one, number eight. And there are other things. I'm just giving you, these are eight statements of the will of God. Jesus also said this when he said, abide in me. Abide in me. It means wait it all out. Wait out the storms. Abide in him. Regardless, some days abiding in Jesus is easy. Some days it's hard. True? Some days it's not so hard to abide in Jesus. You're like, hey, man, this worship music is perfect. I'm sitting on my back deck. Not a care in the world. I'm abiding in the Lord. But all other days, it's stormy, isn't it? Abiding in him, he says, day after day, abide in me, trust in me, go back to the word. And, and all these other things, the Holy Spirit will remind you to seek first the kingdom of God. He'll remind you, love the Lord thy God first. He'll remind you to love your neighbor. He'll remind us uh, that we are to take up our cross. He'll remind us that we have to pray. He'll remind us that we must share the gospel. He'll remind us to invest in others, which is discipleship, to invest in the lives of others. And he'll remind us to abide in him. And each of these statements, if we would do these things and say, Lord, 
help me to do these things. Remind me not to do them perfectly. He never says, well done, good and perfect servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. You don't fire employees because they're not perfect, but you would fire them if they were not faithful time and time again. So here, here we are four years later, and you still won't come to work. <laughs> right? I mean, that's a, you, sometimes the absurd has to be used to illustrate the point. That's an absurdity to someone say, well, I couldn't possibly hire someone that never shows up to work, right? Eventually, th th that person cannot be gainfully employed, at least by your company anyway, maybe by somebody else's. But the Lord says, hey, I've grafted you and I've brought you in. Here's the basic tenets of my will. Do these things. And Jesus said, and when he comes back, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find us doing the things he's asked us to do? And then once we do these things and we say, Lord, I'm starting to practice these things. I'm putting them into practice. I'm walking in wisdom uh, to understand the will of the Lord. Then God gives us real clarity about something in our marriage, something really personal, something that we've been praying about. It may be even for a couple of years. When we start to walk in what he's already told us to to go back to the illustration of all those screws and nuts and bolts and all that stuff. Then we get to the 15th step, and it makes perfect sense. Ah, that's what the Lord wants us to do. All right, with our last couple of minutes, we'll hit another point, and then we'll stop there. I never even put this up, so. <laughs> that's it right there. Anyway, that was one of the points we just made. All right, so uh, we just looked at um, aware of the will of God. We're working our way through. Look at, let's look at the next one. Fill with the Spirit. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. At every point in human history, people have used alcohol. People have used alcohol to have a good time, to take off the edge, to uh, cover problems, to forget about a bad day or a bad week and all those kind of things. I was talking to somebody about this this week. I said, you know, when, when I was younger and many of you that were unsaved when you were in your teen years or college years or, or after. I said, when, when I was younger, we used to party. It was all about fun. But I realized that later on in life, people need substances to numb pain. But at first, it might start out one way, but it ends up another way. But the reality is, something that alters our thinking in something that completely changes the way we're acting or the way that we're reacting uh, is mind-altering, right? God wants to mind-alter us by his spirit in a good way, not in a destructive way, not in some pleasurable way, but in the fact that God wants to take the mind of Christ and give it to us, and that happens through the work of the Holy Spirit. In the pagan culture of Paul's day there in Ephesus, uh, it was very common for people to get purposefully drunk. I mean, that was, the, that was the whole emphasis of the pagan ritual, is that everybody gathered would get, not a little bit of a buzz, we're talking completely drunkenness, uh, completely drunk. And they were festive parties that the thought was that when they got drunk, it would bring them into communion with the spirit world. Interesting, huh? By the way, they're on to something, aren't they? It would bring them into, their religious culture was that the drunken condition would bring them into communion with the spirit world, which would then reveal to them deities. 
I'll never forget, I heard a testimony of a man who he had grown up, he was a high-ranking uh, religious, uh, he had a high-ranking religious position in Hinduism, uh, and he would go into these trances where he lived in India, and when he'd go into these trances, he would see these beings, which he later understood to be demonic presence, right? He moves to New York City, he becomes born again, and he starts ministering to the drug addicts on the streets of New York, and their visions were the same demonic, they would tell him about the creatures they were seeing, and they were the identical ones he was seeing in those demonic trances through Hinduism. Why? Because the spirit realm taps into people's brain being shut down. And, the, and God taps into our brains being opened up. Big difference. But they would go into this drunken condition, and alcohol and drugs, they historically have had a clear connection uh, to the spirit world and the kingdom of darkness. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 21, he called the drunken rituals the cup of demons. That's what he called the drunken, uh, you know, the, the taking alcohol for the specific reason of getting drunk, he called it the cup of demons. And we see the results of it. We've seen uh, all the things like abuse, homicides, fights, immorality, all the things that happen because people's minds are taken over with either drugs or alcohol and things of that nature. And it's one of Satan's primary tools in numbing the conscience, right? You know, when people, uh, when their conscience is numb, they'll do things like, man, I would have never thought I would have ever done that, says 10 frat boys, right? <laughs> that are now, you know, they, there was a court case. They're up in Pennsylvania and, and a bunch of kids from uh, university up there that, you know, they, oh, I would never thought we would do this, but drunkenness changes our conscience and our, our response to it. You have addictions, you have immorality. Satan has been using these things for years. Now, in addition to the desired interaction with the spirit world, people have throughout time uh, exhibited out-of-control behaviors with alcohol and, and, and drunkenness, and some of the same behaviors as you would see in demonically possessed people, right? You ever seen someone that as soon as they're drunk, they become violent? Well, that's what sometimes demonically controlled people do. They become violent. Uh, clothing starts to come off. Vomiting, violence, all of these things. Alcohol has been referred to as spirits for a long time, hasn't it? Even though some in entomology and history um, would tie the word more to chemical vapor going up as like a, a little bit of a vapor, like the you'd see like an incense or something. But it's also been, through entomology, also connected to spiritism. So you can kind of see that there's clearly a connection uh, with the impact. But here's the thing for us as believers. It says, do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, right? It's losing restraint. It's all kinds of out-of-control thing. But to be filled with the Spirit. God does want us filled with something. Amen. He wants us filled with something. He doesn't want us filled with junk. He doesn't want us filled with immorality. He doesn't want us filled with pornography. He doesn't want us filled with music that uh, takes our mind to a place that it shouldn't be. He doesn't want us filled with all the things that just make us greedy and materialism. He doesn't want us filled with alcohol or drugs. Everything in the world, you watch a TV commercial, today's you know, football. Watch how many of the commercials want to fill you. I'm not saying that they're saying, go get drunk. That's not what they, that, 
By the way, Satan's message is never that. He's much smoother than that, isn't he? He doesn't say, hey, I want to make you addicted to drugs. Where do you want to sign up? I want to make you a completely drunken, alcoholic, miserable. I want to see your, your life broken in pieces. I, I want to do all these things in your life. Where do you want to sign up? He doesn't want to say, I want to wreck your marriage and all that kind of stuff. He doesn't paint that picture. That's not what the Michelob Light commercial paints. It shows young people really great shape, right? <laughs> After a good day of uh, making a lot of money and great uh, business decisions and everything on the top of some New York City lofty-looking place, right? That's always the picture, right? It's always, you know, uh, you should be driving an $80,000 sports car. You know, everything, I mean, you watch it, you're like, I'm like, most people can't relate to the supermodels and the $80,000 sports car and, and the life on a New York City loft and all this stuff, but that's what the commercials are, even though that's not the average football fan watching around the country. Amen? But that's what they'll show. Because Satan says, I want to fill you with these things. And if you had these things in your life, because it's not just alcohol. Say, well, I don't, my struggle's not alcohol. Well, what are you filled with? Everyone's filled with something. Well, I'm filled with... I'm filled with coveting. I always want what I don't have. That's not a good feeling, is it? Well, I'm filled with lust. That's not a good feeling. Well, I'm filled with anger. That's not a good feeling. None of these things, would any of these things bring satisfaction or misery? They always bring misery. But the Lord says, I want you to be filled with the Spirit, the Spirit of God. God wants to fill us with his spirit. And when he fills us with his spirit, guess what we get? Peace. Can't buy that in a bottle. Joy. Can't get that on the internet. Love. Can't get that from the TV set. Contentment. You can't get that from the Costco catalog or the L.L. Bean catalog. I like these catalogs, by the way. I have to look at oh man. Why did they invent that? That's perfect. <laughs> Why didn't I think of that? But the Lord says, I want to fill you with my spirit. And as we're coming to a close here, you know, when you're here and you're worshiping the Lord, you get a glimpse. You get a glimpse of that contentment. When you're just worshiping, you say, wow. You can think back. When the worship team was, worship, when the worship team was leading, not one minute for five minutes did I think about my job, did I think about what was in the bank account? Did I think about some kind of sin that, that I used to be drawn to? And then it dawns on you that the filling of God is the only satisfaction there is. Who wouldn't want to walk like that? Amen? Yeah.